Welcome to In Your Area. This special COVID-19 episode features a conversation between three lawyers on Areas Forms and Practices Committee, Denise Hendricks of Hendricks Law, Jim Doyle of Virgin Associates, and Stan Galbraith of Galbraith Law. Kelly Kimber, Area Senior Member Engagement Advisor, asked the lawyers questions stemming from member concerns we have been receiving in this COVID-19 impacted downturn. The group chats about the current state of real estate in their practices, the risk of adding open-ended clauses to the purchase contract, and how to mitigate risks in relationships with clients, and when to go to a lawyer for legal counsel. We hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm Kelly Kimber, Area Senior Member Engagement Advisor, and joining to talk to me about COVID-19 and its impact on real estate transactions are three rock star lawyers from Area's Forms and Practice Committee. Why don't we start by having you each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your area of expertise. Denise, you're our newest member. Why don't we start with you? Sure. My name is Denise Hendricks and we primarily do work for banks and foreclosure and real estate. So what we refer to as cradle to grave services for the banks in lending and enforcement and real estate is a big part of our practice in relation to sales, both in foreclosure and post foreclosure. My name is Stan Galbraith. I'm a lawyer in Edmonton. I have a practice out in the West End. Uh, and we do um, a lot of real estate conveyancing, small business, wills and estates. And so we're on the actual conveyancing side and uh, with lots of years of experience. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jim Doyle. I'm a uh, lawyer with Virgin Associates. Uh, my practice is 100% uh, litigation. And um, of that litigation, about 75% is made up of real estate-based uh, litigation, primarily defending real estate agents and professional liability claims and in regulatory matters. And Jen, you also um, do some work with REIX, uh, our insurer as well. That's right. I'm one of the lead counsel for Southern Alberta for the Real Estate Insurance Exchange Program, which is the errors and emissions policy uh, that has mandated coverage for all realtors in the province of Alberta. Well, I'm really excited to have you all here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. How has the pandemic been affecting your business? With us, the courthouse being closed has severely impacted our business. So we've only got about a third of our staff working full-time right now uh, on the real estate transactions that are closing. Hopefully when the courthouse opens, which we're crossing our fingers for the beginning of June, we'll be back to full. Uh, with our business, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. We actually have real estate closings in May, uh, several of them, uh, certainly way, way down from what we typically experience at this time of year. And I'm continuing to field calls from realtors who are uh, wanting to make sure that their clauses are correct and that the special clauses to deal with the pandemic are inserted. So, yeah, it's we're carrying on as best we can. Yeah, I was uh, standing in the middle of a courtroom in the Provincial Court of Alberta at the moment where the courthouse was closed down due to the COVID epidemic. And we were given 15 minutes to clear our uh, materials out of the courthouse and head on home. And since then, life has been quite quiet. Uh, same, our practice is affected in exactly the same way as Denise's would be in that it's fundamental access to the courthouse and until we can get our trials uh, back on schedule, uh, things will be uh, a little bit slower than we're used to. Uh, I also understand anecdotally from uh, the folks that I work with in the industry that they are seeing generally a slowdown uh, in uh, volumes of transactions attributable uh, certainly partially to COVID-19 and uh, potentially as well because of uh, problems in the oil sector. One of the things that I've noticed is that our vacant properties are actually selling very quickly and we're getting multiple offers on that. So that's been of particular interest 
to us over the last month um, is that we've had a lot of sales on vacant properties and a lot of multiple offers, which is good. That's great. <laughs> That's really great. Um, are there any trends that you're seeing? So besides a bit of an uptake in the vacant properties, any other trends you're seeing in relation to real estate transactions due to COVID-19? From my perspective, we're getting a lot more inquiries directly from realtors, purchasers, and sellers before the contract is signed, which I think is a very positive thing to get that advice. And so we're getting a lot of contact ahead of time before contracts are signed on how to deal with certain situations. So we're getting a lot more uh, feedback and, and direct contact with the realtors before transactions are signed. I would echo what Denise says. Yes, there's a lot more activity on vacant properties. And I know that some people are listing properties now that they wouldn't have listed before because they're vacant and they can attract a lot more attention. And uh, as well, the fact that more realtors are, are calling us to make sure that they got the clauses they want. I don't do transaction-based work, so I can't really comment on, uh, on any trends. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you see deals being delayed specifically due to COVID-19 right now? I know that's a big concern. Um, with members and clients? From my perspective on the litigation side, I have not seen any specific deals that have been delayed as a result of, of COVID-19, either exposure or related concerns. So far, it, it sounds like people in the marketplace have been uh, going about their business in a responsible way. So we haven't had a lot, or in fact, we haven't had any uh, inquiries on that side. And we have seen delays. Um, and I think the delays that we've seen will be disappearing. Uh, I can think of two in particular, both related to the fact that parties to the transactions had just returned home at a, a time when they should have been coming into our office the next day after arriving back home. And they had to delay the closing of the deal by two weeks so they could quarantine for two weeks. Now that everybody's home, I expect that those sources of delay will disappear. And then from the lending side, uh, the, the banks, once they approve the deal, there have, have not been any uh, delays that I've seen. And I haven't seen any delays on closing. Um, we've had a few kind of last minute signings with certain circumstances of people coming home from holidays or people caring for elderly that were sick with the virus. Um, so we've had some delays in that regard, but all of our closings has, have, have happened on time. Uh, we're very lucky that Land Titles has agreed that we can sign documents now and mark our files accordingly by video conference. And so that has certainly assisted us. And so no delays on closing as a result of that. Now that's really positive because I know that's a big concern um, that uh, we have from our members as well as their clients. Generally, like what we're told is basically the, the delays that we're seeing are similar in numbers to what we've seen before. Could you explain, maybe even just one of you, because it's probably typical in all of your offices, but um, what typically happens when a deal is delayed? If it's a regular occurrence, just to explain to our members. So the, the real estate purchase contract, of course, covers the potential for delays and primarily uh, the, the default contract. It depends on whether the delay is at the foot of the buyer or at the seller. And, you know, if it's the buyer that's delayed, then they typically have to pay interest for any delayed closing uh, at prime plus three. And if the delay is due to the seller being unable to provide documents, uh, then the buyer gets in at only having to pay mortgage rate, mortgage amount. Um, of course, all the usual law applies that would allow people to cancel a deal because time is of the essence. However, in most cases, and certainly 
continuing on in this environment, we find that people really want the deal to close. And so they're not going to very rare that I've ever seen somebody relying on the uh, strict law to cancel a deal. Uh, and now with the COVID, uh, I do think it's, it's incumbent upon people to address that even more about what happens if there's a delay so that everybody knows that uh, the intention is to get the deal done, uh, even if there is a delay in closing. We've certainly found that when we're doing our signings, we're spending more time explaining those provisions. If we haven't talked to the purchasers or our sellers before the contract was signed. And really, as real estate council across Alberta, we've all very much agreed to treat each other fairly. And we've expressed that to our clients that reasonableness has to prevail and we need to be fair in the circumstances. So I haven't actually found any issues in that regard, even when we've had a delay in closing, and it's only been a day or two, which is pretty normal. That can happen in a normal practice. But I found that reasonableness and, and understanding in the circumstances has really prevailed, especially in dealing with other lawyers. You know, at the same time, it's always prudent to be cautious about these things. One of the deals that's been delayed in our office, it was because the seller arrived home the day before he was supposed to come to our office. And so we were not able to tender documents on time. And so we're uh, scrambling a bit because the buyer has a sense that the market price has gone down. And so as, as we don't know for sure if uh, the buyer is going to use that delay as, as a point of, of, of negotiating a lower price. Uh, so it is certainly incumbent on everybody to, to address these issues as soon as they can. When If something comes up, let's get that issue addressed now so we know where everybody stands. And Stan, that's an excellent point. And we see that on the, on, on the litigation side on a regular basis. If uh, folks uh, are motivated to close a deal, then working with their conveyance councils and their, and their real estate agents, negotiating the necessary extensions and, uh, and relaxations is, is uh, from everything that I've heard, a, a relatively easy thing to do. The problem would arise in the future if uh, during the course of a, of a delay, COVID-19 or other uh, cause, if during the course of that delay, some other circumstance with respect to the transaction were to change, um, such as market value or the financial circumstances of a given party, that's when you would typically see problems where uh, because of those changes in circumstances, people lose the motivation to close on the deal and start looking for ways to get out. And while I personally haven't had a deal um, yet that has happened where someone has canceled the financing. That is something that is of concern to people that their employment, um, hopefully we're on the back swing of, of getting re-employed, but if their employment circumstances changed between the time the financing condition was waived and when the closing is, that that can be an issue for all parties. And so I know that's out there. I haven't had that experience. Stan, have you? No, and I think that's an excellent point, Denise. I have not had that experience in my office. Uh, however, you know, you, you look at the bank's uh, documents, even though you're approved for a mortgage, they can, um, you know, pull out approval at the last minute. So, if, you know, that would be a cautionary note for all realtors to make sure that their buyers uh, don't try and sneak in because they're employed this week and th th knowing that they're going to lose their employment next week. Because even though you have that approval uh, in writing, if the bank catches wind that you're no longer employed, they can pull out approval. And it really goes to, uh, I think, the, the, the crux of the matter when you're dealing with delay, and particularly in this environment, is 
fears of, of potential risk need to be identified uh, for the benefit of, of both parties to the transaction, and, and that needs to happen uh, as, as possible. Uh, and typically that might be an area that you would expect a realtor to uh, perhaps at least raise concerns and, and, and uh, begin a dialogue between buyers and sellers with respect to potential delays and with respect to potential change in circumstances uh, that might uh, materially affect uh, the ability of the parties to close. And so what, what should the realtor do if they are suspecting that their client may be unable to close on time? Like, What's the first step that the realtor should take? Obviously, having that conversation, like you said, but then what? Well, I think identification of the risk uh, is, is the first step. So the realtors need to make sure that they're uh, paying attention to the circumstances of all their deals, particularly in, in, in this context, that when a risk is identified, that it is communicated clearly uh, and unequivocally to uh, all parties to the transaction. So folks are all working from the same pieces of information. That's the first step. And then secondly, to identify mutually acceptable ways to address those uh, to address those risks and then ultimately to get whatever that agreed methodology is to get it into a, a proper written form so that uh, it's clear to all concerned both at the time uh, and uh, going forward on the deal and that's where the vital importance of uh, seeking legal advice uh, really comes in. And then from a very practical point of view it's the old truism that from the seller's point of view you want to make sure that the buyer has a big enough deposit that they that they won't easily walk away. And from the buyer's point of view, if they've got any concern that they might lose their employment or otherwise not qualify for the mortgage, make sure that deposit is as small as you can get away with, just in case it goes sideways. So that's uh, you know, that hasn't changed that truism. Well, Aria always recommends that members seek legal advice before implementing forms or clauses into their business. And with COVID-19, client emotions are heightened and they have some unique concerns. And so we're also recommending our members tell their clients to seek legal advice about their specific concerns. Have you seen um, a trend or anything different in the types of concerns that clients are bringing to your attention that they might want addressed in their purchase contract? I haven't seen anything. Well, I've seen the specific thing in the purchase contract that, that uh, you know, what happens if the closing is delayed and we will add some language to deal with that. The other one, though, that I've heard from realtors is just a concern about, you know, allowing people into the house and what do we do to safeguard the, the premises and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing, which, you know, area has addressed through the publication of a hold harmless agreement. So I think that's prudent. And it also uh, seems to me that realtors should be, you know, a little more thorough in their approach to things. For example, you know, if I'm a realtor showing a house, I would be more insistent on at least one of the being present in the house when it, when this, the showing takes place to make sure that people don't go start rummaging through and touching things that that would be inappropriate to touch. So that would be a, one cautionary thing that could happen. I completely agree on that. I think the whole harmless agreements that have been distributed starts the conversation, reasonable, prudent steps with respect to when you're attending, if that's gloves and masks and hand sanitizer, but definitely not to be letting your clients be wandering around the house unsupervised. I think that prudence would dictate that you're with them in the rooms and instructing them before you go in not to be touching things. And I think some of the, uh or something that realtors should keep in mind when they're considering these types of things is goes right back to that earlier conversation we were having about risk identification and analysis. 
uh, whose risk is it and whose benefit is it, right? So uh, if an individual wants to sell their property, they want to make it available to the public for sale, then they have to address the risk of whatever may or may not be present within that property that they're allowing access to. And it's, I think, appropriate in, in, in those situations that the sellers recognize that it is their risk and that uh, they have that conversation right from the outset uh, and uh, and enter into the whole harmless agreement, uh, whether that's the area form or form that they that may need to be tailored in consultation with their legal counsel. And similarly for buyers, if a buyer wants to see a property, then it's their risk to assume, uh, not the agent's risk to assume. So that's why you have the version available for uh, buyers that is uh, specific to each particular property uh, that a buyer might actually enter into because the circumstances of each property are going to be different and therefore the conversation should be unique to each property. I completely agree with Jim in that regard, and I think um, in circumstances where the sellers aren't willing to take that risk, they, you know, that's their decision to make, and, and they can make that educated choice. One of the things that I love that is happening in those circumstances is that we're using a lot of video and other media tools to help list the property and have it viewable. So there are other options out there if we can take advantage of them, but risk is something that definitely has to be explained, reviewed. If you want the benefit of independent legal advice before you look at those documents, you're certainly entitled to do so, um, just to know what it is you're dealing with and how you want to deal with that risk. And so my, my concluding kind of comment on it is the cold harmless agreement is a great tool to have. However, don't be lulled into a false sense of security that once that's signed, that means the realtor can just abandon all their responsibilities. And the things that Denise and Jim and I have talked about are still necessary, even with that hold harmless agreement in place. You do have to take more precautions than you would have uh, three or four months ago. That's exactly right, Stan. And, and the issue is... Uh the people need to understand is that the standard of care expected of a real estate agent is going to be in many ways specific to the circumstances of a given transaction. It's not a cookie cutter sort of an analysis. Standard of care will vary depending on the issues that arise in a given transaction. And if you're uh, buying and selling real property in the face of a global health pandemic, uh, that's a risk that a realtor is going to be expected to be aware of and is going to be expected uh, to uh, provide proper direction uh, to their clients throughout. So we were just talking about the hold harmless agreement and we get a lot of questions about that form from our members and one of the most common questions is whether or not when I have this form signed with my client, be it the buyer or the seller, if that extends to third parties and that may be involved in the transaction, whether that be the buyer's or third parties, suppliers and providers like home inspectors or measurement companies? What advice can you give our clients, our members there? I think the short answer, uh, Kelly, is no. Uh, the hold harmless agreements that have been published by area are specifically between a agent and broker and either a buyer or seller who, is a, who has some relationship with that agent or broker. And it's a trite law of contract that uh, third parties uh, cannot uh, enforce any benefit that might flow from a contract uh, to them uh, when they're not a party to that agreement. So if you're going to be involving the services of third parties, whether they be home inspectors or surveyors or contractors that need to come in and perhaps consider some, uh, you, you might have a, a term in your, in your contract that it's conditional upon some renovation 
work or repair work that you need to have done, any involvement of a third party is going to have to be addressed in a separate formula. And so as the seller, if I'm having home inspectors, for example, coming into my home or um, photographers and measurement companies, should I be looking to have separate agreements with those providers? How, how, what can a realtor do or say to help advise their sellers in that situation? I think it's again goes back to identifying the existence of the risk. Uh, so in this case, advising your seller that uh, anybody that might be coming into the property to assist them in their uh, marketing efforts um, should execute their own uh, hold harmless agreement specific to that third party and that seller. Excellent. I do want to bring it back to the hold harmless agreement again, just because we do get a lot of questions on this form and you all touched base on it a little bit. The form is property specific. And when working with the buyer, area has issued protocols um, for realtors to use with their clients. And it includes asking questions of um, the seller about um, any potential risk of COVID-19 spread due to occupants of the home, travel questions, discussing with the buyer the safety and hygiene protocols they may have in place when they enter different homes to view. What are your thoughts on people editing the form to make it term specific, particularly to the term of the contract versus property specific? I personally think that would be a very bad idea. If, if the key uh, that we're, if the key part of the analysis that we're trying to get to is the identification of specific risk, that risk is going to vary or potentially vary property to property. And I don't think it would be good practice to, to enter into a hold harmless agreement with no identified specific properties for a certain period of time, because I don't think uh, that would provide the level of certainty uh, to the buyer uh, that we're trying to get to here. I also think when you're dealing with reasonableness, if they've been given a direction as to what are the types of questions and terms that you should be discussing, that that really is imposing a standard of reasonableness. And I don't think that they should vary from that when we have a published publication saying what that standard should be. Yeah, that's um, right. Because we do recommend to the members that they ask those questions of their clients and of um, the other parties involved for every single home viewing. So not, not just in general um, to the buyer one time, but being really specific and doing some investigative work so that the buyer can make the best decision on whether or not they should view a specific property. Have you seen any supplementary clauses added to purchase contracts that just should not be there? Yeah, I haven't seen any that should no, simply okay. <laughs> be there. Yeah, I have not seen any, uh, Kelly, that have been added that should simply not be there any more than any time in the past. What I do get concerned about is when somebody adds, a, and I've seen this where they'll add something saying if there's a delay in closing, everybody agrees that we, we can delay the closing. And then it's left open-ended because, you know, if you're going to add something like that, then really to me, there should be something saying some kind of a final date. And if it's not closed within 60 days, the parties have the option to cancel the deal or something. Because if you just leave it open-ended, you could end up with a deal that's on the table for an indefinite amount of time and you got a real problem. So uh, I do think it's, it's important that when you add to these clauses to be careful about what are the end game? What's the potential consequence? Where does it come to an end uh, to make sure that that eventuality is covered off? And that's the one thing I find missing too often. That's an excellent um, point, Stan. Yes, and my worry with that open-ended clause is that 
that we I've seen, but uh, luckily have been before the contracts have been signed, is that we don't know for the purchaser where the bank rates are going, and we don't want to end up with potential claims because it's been extended indefinitely, and mortgage rates have increased before the funding or closing, and so. I completely agree with Stan. We've got to have some, if you're going to put an extension, there has to be a limit and it should be clearly defined between all parties. We always advise that uh, when drafting their own clauses that members insert a condition um, that the contract is subject to legal review. Do you recommend that for all of these circumstances that we're seeing right now? It's always been my policy that I'd rather have the conversation before you even draft a clause. Hey, give me a call. I'm not going to, you know, I think most, a lot of real estate lawyers uh, will do that on a gratis basis because it, it's, it's, it's in some ways self-serving because it makes their job easier closing the deal if they've had a hand in drafting the clause. And my, that's my preferred route as opposed to drafting the clause and then making it subject to lawyer approval. I agree. No, that's great. I agree with, uh, with Denise and Stan on this point. Um, the worst thing that you can do when you're a contracting party is to leave vital terms undefined. And time is certainly a, a vital factor in any real estate contract. Parties to any contract are all, always better served by certainty. And it's better to have those uh, issues identified, discussed, and agreed to in advance as opposed to leaving them uh, open-ended in the contract and then trying to go after the fact and, and backfill. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I will just say again that we always recommend that our realtors um, seek advice from lawyers with the clauses that they're inserting. Um, even if they are putting the clause in that it's subject to a lawyer's review, it just, um, we feel that's the best practice. And so I'm just going to remind our members again who are listening, especially right now as clients have concerns, the clients may even want to seek legal advice about their specific circumstances, the COVID-19 and um, job losses or anything else like that that they're concerned about. Do you have any additional advice to share with your members? Or is there anything you wanted to add about COVID-19 or, or other? It's a unique situation and, and I think uh, members would be best served by uh, keeping their eyes open and their ears open at all times and if they find themselves uh, faced with a unique set of circumstances um, that they get the appropriate advice from their brokers, uh, from legal counsel, whenever there's any doubt. My comment is that this could be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm impressed by the ability of all parties, whether it's realtors, bankers, mm -hmm. lawyers, to find ways to navigate through this new and different way of doing things and to accommodate the changes. And I encourage people to continue to do that because it could be, like I say, months and months before uh, this whole thing goes away. Uh, so keep on, keep on doing your thing. And I think especially during this time where there is a lot of misinformation and fear-based information or decisions, your legal counsel area, we're here for you. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. I'd rather you ask 20 questions that may seem redundant to you than not ask anything and, and put together a bad deal. So seek out help when you need it. That's what we're all here for. 
And I think on a, as a party note, dispute resolution side, which is Denise and I's uh, area of practice, keep in mind, we don't know how long the courthouses are going to be uh, shut down. As of today, it's to the end of May. Uh, but if folks find themselves in an emergency situation where they require immediate intervention by the courts to sort out an issue, access to the courts is available for uh, those types of uh, emergent matters. And I know um, from, the, from the area staff side, um, we've reached out to the legal community um, and as well as working with lawyers like you and others to really monitor the situation and what's happening um, so that we get feedback and we understand the trends that are happening when it comes to conveying um, the transactions, whether there's delays in closing or not, um, any other surprises that COVID-19 could throw our way. We're trying really hard um, to keep an ear to the ground so that we can be prepared to, to best help our members and their clients should situations change. And we appreciate all the work that you have done um, to help us do that as part of our committee. Um, and I really wanna thank you for joining us today. I know I always love our legal panel discussions and you guys agreed a lot more than usual, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good these uh, uncertain, uh, <laughs> during these uncertain times. That's true, very true. I look very forward to seeing you at our next forms and practice committee meeting and hopefully we can do that face-to-face -face and we're not uh, still shut indoors, but who knows? But I hope you take care and stay well. Yeah, everybody play safe out there. Exactly. Stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Denise, Jim, Stan, and Kelly for their time. We hope you stay safe out there and we hope to see you the next time we are in your area.